a record of the delightful piece they're going to play this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. Hey everyone, welcome back to Requiem Radio. Tonight, I'm really glad and thankful for two of my best friends to come in for a favor and fill in. We have ourselves Derek and we have Silver Rose. We had a guest, unfortunately, had the last minute emergency and both these two kind people were ahead of schedule because I was having them for the later seasons. But it's good I was able to plug them in, so... Yeah, I met both of them through Twitter Sphere for like, you know, debates and dialogues, geopolitics, all that fun stuff. Definitely two really intelligent people in that sphere. Silver currently, if you want to introduce yourself, she's in one of my tournaments I'm running right now for a debate sketch. Yeah, so um I'm Silver Rose and uh I'm interested in like and I like to- um debating kind of controversial topics. I'm also interested in art and um politics philosophy and uh yeah and and yeah so it's been really fun participate it's been really fun um participating in the debate tournaments and also um being being here thank you again thank you so much for being able to make it and shorten notice and i'm derek the man in charge the man of myth the legend himself Really sharp dude on geopolitics. I love hearing his takes opinion. He's also been racking up a lot of debates on his own platform and on his own thing. Hey, I respect the hustle and stuff. What's up, man? Hey, I'm Derek Peterson. Um, thank you for that introduction. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, <laughs> there, uh, uh, no, I I am interested in, as he said, foreign policy, geopolitics, also also just American politics too, and like culture war stuff. But I don't. I I guess I guess my like I'm most passionate about like foreign policy, um, and yeah. And so I I try to um, on Twitter I talk a lot about that and also kind of nuanced culture war takes. Yeah. So that's um uh and that is how I met both Silver Rose and Solar Requiem was through the Twitter sphere through a sphere of people who I guess like to uh, argue with. And, and engage with people that they don't necessarily agree with on it. So, yeah. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that too, because I don't think any out of all three of us, we fully agree on much of anything. But I'm sure we have a couple things we all agree on. But what I'm really going at is that I always found it good to meet other people with differing views because not only does it challenge your views, but it puts you in a scenario where you either strengthen your views, know how to like enunciate them better or it breaks them and you change your views it's kind of like iron sharpen iron type thing where you'll eventually always either get better through dialogue is how i see it if you're willing to be open-minded and actually treat it as you know an art form of or a school of thought basically just pushing forward and trying to gain more knowledge if you will yeah i agree and like that's why i feel like i feel more um kind of similarities and intellectual similarities and get along better with even like with i feel like people who I maybe on paper completely disagree with. Like, for example, I think especially Sola in many ways um, on a lot of issues were like opposite, but then people who maybe um, agree with me more, but 
are per- but are perhaps more um, kind of in echo chambers or per- don't really like kind of uh, disagreeing or whatever. Especially since I'm someone who's like changed my mind on like I changed my mind pre- pretty easily or I've gone through um, like I I'm pretty open minded to different ideas or whatever. And so I kind of um, kind of like uh, just seeing um, hearing about hearing opinions from across um, from lots of different people and not just sticking to like uh, if you're left wing, you have to agree with um, all, all these all this package, this prepackaged um, platform or the same for the right or whatever. Or even like or even I feel like what's interesting is even a lot of like people who are like w- um, anti woke or like centrist. They also seem to they seem to also a lot of times divide into uh, different sections where they also kind of have like prepackaged beliefs and sometimes even them they seem to actually not be as open minded as they claim to be. So I feel like um, this small this the, the small sphere of Twitter that I try to engage with or the people I try to get engaged with are people are people who I feel like are truly open minded, which I think is true for both. Um, uh, Sola and uh, Derek, and not just as opposed to just claiming to be, as I think. Um, yeah. Well, you also engage with just about everyone. To be fair, like I think I don't. You reply. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You. I. I. I've never seen you unilaterally disengage from an argument. Yeah. Well. Yeah. But no. That's well, an exaggeration. I'll, but. I'll force. Yeah. yeah well, if someone. I yes, but no, I don't really like to or or if someone like comes into I have trouble like just not responding or just like uh, letting something go. So I'll again, I'll kind of um, have, yeah, I'll like end up arguing with people both. who are really dogmatic. But but I will say, but then I don't really think but I think anybody who even encounters in our Twitter sphere is probably um, somewhat open minded to begin with, but like more than average, probably. What are you saying, Derek? Um, well, I, t- I actually think that both of us have changed our views. Both me and Silver Rose have changed our views quite a bit. So I was um, sort of center-right, I think, in early high school. And then I went off on a like a complete like hard-left kind of tangent into like Marxist-Leninist, um, like, eh, but like ed- the edgy high school like kind of fake version. And then I uh, moderated out a lot around like 2016. Uh, and um, then sort of was a uh, very strong supporter of Hillary Clinton in 2016, uh, very disappointed by Trump's election. And so I think I kind of caught on the wave of like the um, uh, resist lib uh, kind of uh, other than on foreign policy. On foreign policy, I've, I've actually remained fairly consistent over more like not consistent not maybe not consistent on specific issues but like um all fairly nuanced and not not particularly in any uh strong camp but um uh foreign policy i i i I agreed with the trump administration on several foreign policy issues but i was i was kind of into that and then it was really around um 2019 that i started to see more and more kind of um uh, dogmatic tendencies among who I, what I would call my own camp, which was like kind of anti-Trump liberals and, um, on certain culture war issues in particular. And I think in particular, my biggest break with them was in around 2020 on, um, the issue of crime and policing. So that was, that was, but then, then there were a whole lot of other things that, that maybe, um, 
propelled me back towards towards that position. Like I was also very dissatisfied with um, kind of in the anti woke liberal sphere, a lot of their stances on um, uh, the twenty the twenty twenty election um, and uh, vaccine and the COVID vaccine. So those are I know there's some controversial opinions that I'm throwing out right now, but um, I don't know if if Silver Rose wants to talk a little bit about her own ideological journey. But that's it's kind of a vague summary of mine. Yeah. So no. Yeah, that's interesting. So from uh from you, I so um I guess I I started off as pretty center left, um but when I uh just from like my parents are center left, but when I then I think out of kind of contrarianism, I ended up in high school kind of going through a conservative phase or at least. I don't know if I would have described myself as conservative exactly at the time, but like I was listening a lot to like Ben Shapiro and stuff. And, um, and I think that part of what uh, attracted me to that was actually, I was seeing kind of, there was, there seemed to be like, there seemed to be kind, was kind of the idea of the appeals he was, and there seemed to be like some topics where I would bring up um, among like people who were kind of left wing or whatever, and they didn't really have, they didn't really kind they were it was, they were just like rejected out of hand um with like kind of appeals to bigotry or whatever and i think the kind of both kind of um the kind of contrarianism aspect and maybe the taboo aspect kind of attracted me a bit to right um to right wing stuff but i guess the more i kind of listened to it and perhaps this is also a kind of a contrarian thing where then i started the more so then i was like kind of almost became a bit like center right but then I guess I then I listened to I think too much uh, to them because then they were because then I was seeing a lot of flaws in like uh, in the center right as well um, and in uh, that in that and in that kind of ideology which kind of um, which kind of made me think that I think that there that that also that's also kind of um, a problematic like to, uh, dogma or whatever and to and so then I. Um, I kind of shifted to more like thinking through issue by issue, um, I would say. And yeah, and like, and actually, for example, I um, like on Ben Shapiro, I kind of had a, a dramatic like shift, but I actually, maybe I'll like, uh, I'll link it in the, if there's like in the description or whatever, but I actually wrote an, uh, a Medium article on like some of, um, uh, on like my disagreement or like debunking some of what Ben Shapiro uh, said, said. Um, like says or whatever and this was like in my journey of kind of getting uh, <laughs> of my disillusionment disillusionment with uh with him in general and I know he's not represented like I know he's not at all representative of the right of the right in general and lots of people on the right hate him so this is not uh, like he's not like at all was <laughs> a particularly smart representative of the right but it was more but he is a representative of a certain kind of um right wing that I think is um that I think is the, that I think is kind of uh, pretty is still actually pretty uh, mainstream and geos and GOP, for example, policy or whatever. Um, so yeah. And something actually I'm curious about, and this is a question for um, for Sola, is is your kind of your foreign policy takes, considering um, you were you you're um a veteran but also you but also you're it could correct me if i'm wrong take more kind of in some ways critical of u.s um 
foreign policy stances and i'm kind of and that kind of interests me yeah um i was actually having an argument with this as someone last night um my foreign policy stance is different like if economic stance is pretty different where i feel like Unfortunately, in a perfect world, I'd like America to be more isolationist, but I see the growing threat of China as an ep economic force, which is basically using um, Africa, the whole continent, as like its playground. I'm like, okay, we can't be isolationist now because if we are, they're going to control everything. They're going to start stomping everyone economically. So we unfortunately are forced to play ball with this other, you know, opposing force. But when it comes to military stuff, I'm pretty much like, you know, I'm very against military bases and stuff like that in other nations. A lot of that is anecdotal from firsthand experiences, having buddies like stationed in South Korea, telling us like how much the natives hate them, telling how like how much, you know, there's an active problem throughout the Army, Air Force, Marines, all these different like groups where the natives despise us. And at first I thought like, oh, it sucks to suck for them. But the later I went in my career and I was like primarily working in law. I saw all the court cases that came up with there, and it was the same things. You know, a bunch of young soldiers would get like smashed or hammered in town, and they just go out and cause a rampage and like do like really bad things. Where to them, it's like it's whatever, you don't care. But to the people, they get pissed off that to the point where even in Korea, they're trying to sign bills right now to get United States bases out of South Korea, being like, we don't need you anymore here, which is honestly good and it annoys me because I always see the American economy when people bring up issues of like healthcare or et cetera, et cetera. All these are like, you know, utilities the government should be doing. I'm like, yeah, you know, I think it'd be beat. Sorry. I think it'd be better instead of upping our budget and just dumping more into money into that and causing mass inflation. It'd be a smarter approach if we were to get a lot of these military bases out of foreign like nations and lands. So we could actually reallocate that money into systems like healthcare, like helping people in the States. Like I'm not opposed to that. Like a lot of people think I would be, but I think private industry would obviously outbeat the public industry like tenfold every day of the week. But I'd also wouldn't mind having like a safety net, if you will, for like lower class people and society. And I feel like by us reallocating money from these bases and resources and bringing them over to those things, we could create like this basically net for people, if you will, while people could afford more of the better luxurious insurances and policies. I would like America to actually replicate Germany's healthcare plan. I think they've, out of every nation, has it the best lockdown, I'd say, like out of everybody. But that would have to be my opinion on that. Um, yeah, Derek, you want to say something? Yeah, I was just wondering what got you into um, the debate tournament. Because what it was with me was actually Silver Rose and I arguing a lot about uh, foreign policy. And she said, that she believed essentially that I was giving uh, biased information and that what would convince her more would be if I actually debated people who disagreed with me. And I, at the time, I was like very anti-debate, but I grew to uh, appreciate it much more as a medium for engagement because I actually think I've improved in a lot of not necessarily like when you lose a debate, like not, it's not necessarily that you adopt the opposing person's positions, but I think you grow to um, recognize the flaws in your own arguments more and like maybe make a synthesis of your argument and their argument. Um, like, like the kind of when you have a debate and when you have a debate with people about 
you know, good engagement of people about equally match, not necessarily like, you know, if you have like a terrible debater or like someone who's like kind of gaslighting, this doesn't necessarily work, but like the side with more kind of internal contradictions uh, kind of falls apart to some degree. And, or maybe they both have internal contradictions and like the listeners can kind of form their own synthesis. I don't know if uh, Silver Rose was actually kind of said she was actually kind of skeptical of the ability of listeners to um, to form a to be informed by debate that it wasn't necessarily the most I don't know what you said that it wasn't necessarily the most informative way of no so uh, I think that it is oh no continue or, or go, go ahead go ahead yeah no so I think that no I actually do think it um debate uh, can be productive I think that it's not the most like if you really want to be informed on ish on issues and on both sides positions to make your mind you should probably like read a lot on uh from uh, books from both positions or articles or whatever um and debate is kind of a shortcut but in many ways i do but i do think it is a useful shortcut because uh if not everybody has the time or the interest to really go in, in depth and it is um and yeah and i do think when uh, when there is some some rules and when the two debaters are debating in good faith um and yeah exactly as you were saying they're equally matched it it um it can be helpful of course it depends what exactly you're debating because not all issues and i would say most of politics aren't really issues where one side is right and one side is wrong um i think most most of uh, politics most of philosophy most of what people debate are questions of um of values but it's but you can still, still debate but, values can't you yeah Yes, but it's not, but you can't really, but it's not really something where you can really convince or like destroy someone in, in debate necessarily. But I would say, but, but I would say that's not true for, so I would say, but that's more true for general debates. However, for like specific, however, that's not, it's not true that all uh, of policy is about values there are, or politics. There are sometimes questions in politics and policy that are um, just factual. And I think that that might be, and I think some of your foreign yeah. policy debates were actually um, where there were where they were more factually based were some of the ones that um, convinced me the most or that I thought found very um, like the most that I think were maybe the most productive like the one for example that you did on like because some because the way you a lot of them were formulated like um, well for example is because for example it wasn't on uh, whether the um, it was uh, the it was the Iraq War. It wasn't whether it was uh, good or bad or like whether it was productive or bad, but it, the question was um, the impact on like, did it make life, uh, did the U.S. intervention make life wor worse for Iraqis? Yes. And, and that was, and that, and the one that I think was maybe the least productive was just where I was debating, where the debate was just whether or not we should have withdrawn from Afghanistan, because that was, I, uh, because that was one that is much more, perhaps maybe more about like, that wound up being more a debate of values than a debate of, um, although my, my argument wasn't particularly values formulated. I think my, the other one was, was, was very values heavy. So that was, and that wound up being a little bit less productive of a debate. Also, actually, yeah. And I think, also actually, I guess it does depend because maybe in, in other formats um, of debate where like you're with a complete grifter, they could just throw out like fake stats and confuse everybody. 
So, and so that's also a risk. I feel like, like this always, um, going back to Derek's question, I like debates. I do not like arguments. And what I mean by that is that for a lot of times, I feel like debate culture has done a lot more damage to debates than what they give it credit to. For example, when I think of the word debate, I think about Oxford, you know, university, like the way they have their stuff structured, basically, you know, have like two high class intellectuals in the field. Both guys are like PhD dudes going back and forth. And I'm like, oh, I could leave this debate not agreeing with one position, but respecting the dedication and craft and intelligence required for him to get up to stage and do these things. And that's what I always like most of it, where the best type of debates to, for me are ones where each both of the people involved are steel manning each other, not straw manning each other. What I mean by that is while both sides are giving each other their position at their strongest and going from there. And it's like, I'm not trying to attack you and attack your worst position or like make this like egregious claim about your position, you know, like, oh, your ex group, whatever, because I feel like that's immature and that's petty and that's like not worth anyone's time. I would say the best ones I've especially hosted, I think I've hosted over 30 now, were the ones where both people were able to get on stage and say, like, here's the best argument you have, here's my best argument, and let's duke it out from here. Those are the ones I like a lot. And definitely, I'd say what got me into the whole debating sphere has to be a lot of mixes of things. One was, like, my upbringing, like I said, for, um, first-generation Cuban-American. I had a lot of families affected by communism, so... I was like default, you know, slapped at that label of, you know, like you hate communism. I was like, all right, bet. Which, by the way, I still do. But <laughs> um, besides the point, I was just going through that. And then I went through like the whole Ben Shapiro phase, like I'm sure a lot of people did. But I was still like, you know, pretty neutral where I was like, not spicy opinions on anything. Unfortunately, I had an incident in high school where a kid who basically didn't even know me and he ran like the school BL BML, sorry, BLM club posted a screenshot of my private Instagram account, sent it to this like big account of like 1.8 something million, like roughly uh, subscribers, and then made a completely egregious lie in it, being saying something like, you know, it's been a while. The screenshot basically that this big account posted was like, this person's like a white supremacist or something. And I didn't even know like what was the context of that. So my like account, like, you know, me being in like high school, like freshman, was flooded with DMs after DMs and DMs, people telling me I should kill myself, I shouldn't exist. And I realized, like, oh, maybe if I argue with them logically or factually, they'll leave me alone. And I realized, like, no, they don't care. It's like dropping a chunk of meat in a piranha pit. Like, the piranha is going to sit there and look at the meat and be like, oh, is this, you know, F you know FDA grade approved? It's going to rip it apart. So I'm like, all right, these people don't care, so fuck them. They want to see a monster, I'll be a monster. And unfortunately, at a very young age, I had a lot of bad crowds and bad people indoctrinate me and get me into the whole like you know alt-right far-right ideologies where you know i was doing a whole shaved head um big old black leather boot stuff and i was a pretty angry person and the thing that woke me up from that was i was a group of these people and one of the main members like the big dude he's like mind you a guy in like late 50s he was like this basically grifting young children being like posting a picture of like a black girl that was like roughly like freshman year my age being like hey this person did this, go ahead and pay her a visit. I'm like, oh shit, I'm literally doing what the people did to me that turned me into this. And that's really when I did a big fallout and I like, stopped the politics altogether. Then I started to say like, you know what, screw it. I'm not going to listen to any of these like, you know, political commentators. I'm just going to do my own thing. 
So I was very neutral on politics for a while, where I was just in the library day in and day out. That's one of my favorite things. I love reading. I love collecting books. I have over 350 books in my room currently, but I just read like nonstop as history books on like politics and things. That's where I came to my conclusive views I have now. And over time, it just slowly morphed and changed and tweaked things like that. But overall, I'm pretty happy in my views, but definitely that and religion and theology saved me as well because. I don't, here's my unpopular take. I know a lot of guys who are really good at debating like one thing, but if you're trying to make a worldview, you need more than just like one specific niche. Like to me, I'm like, yeah, politics and good all, and all, but like, how are you in like philosophy? How are you in, you know, mental health, physical fitness? How are you in like, you know, religion or theology or like something that keeps you spiritually going? Like these questions too, I value a lot. And because I value these questions, I wanted to eventually, you know, create a stage where I could hear people argue these things in a professional formatted matter where they were getting time to prepare. And that's how I eventually came to where I am now, to where I'm hosting uh, debate spaces on the sides using very Lincoln-Douglas structured debates. So I've been enjoying that ever since. But yeah, that's just my personal view and everything. Yeah, that's really We've interesting. We've all had interesting ideological journeys, kind of. Oh yeah, most definitely. And the thing I noticed more is the people who want to be left alone but are shoved into it are the ones who become the biggest extremists on either left or right. Like, unfortunately, my childhood, that was a situation for me where I just wanted to be left alone, but I kind of got dragged into the game I didn't want to play. So I know a lot of people who are also, I've talked to them online, shared similar sentiments, and I've been trying over time to get them, you know, back to the light, if you will, regardless how far left or right they are. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I feel like the more time you spend um like in, like interested in politics or in communities that care about this kind of stuff the more you realize the extremes or even are like all kind of crazy and use a lot of the same tactics and i'd say not even just extremes there's some like people who claim to be centrist who also end up um being bullies i think there's just a personality type that really likes uh it's very invested in this kind of stuff being on Twitter has baffled me. I've never thought this many communists existed in my life. I always had the assumption of this. Communism, like fascism, is an ideology that was tried and utterly failed in the 20th century. And it lost to, you guessed it, capitalism and liberalism. Liberalism and capitalism did a one-two combo and killed both those ideologies. And that's why it's predominantly the global ideology across the developed world. So I'm just sitting here thinking, like, why are you still a capitalist? Why are you still a fascist? Like, didn't you guys lose already? Like, I have it. I look at them the same way as as I look at like Confederate LARPers who are like, oh yeah, the South will rise again. I'm like, look, man, I love my Southern heritage too. I'm from Georgia, but like, the South isn't gonna come back. We're not gonna reclaim a whole territory. Like, let it go. Like, gift the times type thing. <laughs> yeah, this almost reminds me. This kind of reminds me of because I just uh, finished reading the end of history and. It's, um, and the purpose of the book is that, well, basically, I don't necessarily agree with, like, the thesis, but the thesis is that, um, kind of the end point is, uh, li uh, liberal democracy and liberal capitalism, but then, and that, um, and, like, kind of the Western status quo or whatever, but that, but at the end, he does concede that, like, there's basically, people are still, people have a need to, like, uh, have, conflict and to feel like they're fighting for something greater than themselves and that's what like oh and so um it's never so there's still going to be a lot of like there's always going to be like larpers or like people kind of replaying 
like there's a certain kind of person that has like nostalgia for like um for these for these ideologies because they it makes them feel like they're fighting for something greater than themselves or whatever or it's like because it's like revolutionary and so it almost i feel like that kind of almost vindicates um kind of fukuyama's thesis because all these because it's like we're in a point in time at least in uh the the west like or even in the in like the u.s for example where things are actually um are not actually i mean of course probably a lot of people disagree with this but i think this seems to me that demo, uh, democracy and the kind of capitalism are are pretty uh stable and they're not on the verge of going away but they seem Thank people you. think they're on the verge of going away because there's there's a lot of exposure to like larpers and i <laughs> would say and i would argue times. it's silver you don't know how many times i'll be in a space and it'll be some frantic like 18 year old communist that lives in like upper middle class suburbs being like don't worry guys capitalism's gonna end any day now america's gonna collapse you just wait we're gonna rise up i'm like sure you are buddy sitting in your mom's basement like and i was like i was just like laughing at them like have you ever killed an animal have you ever had to gut something for food have you ever went hunting have you ever grown your own garden have you ever done literally any basic survival task and then they're like oh i ordered ramen from doordash yeah capitalism is so bad bro and i'm like yeah sure it is man like you keep doing you, buddy, talking on your iPhone on a Twitter space while eating anything at your fingertip. Literally, you have a phone in your hand. You get whatever you want through that. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is they always come up with these like uh, historical, like counterfactual arguments like, oh, if, you know, the West hadn't like done some embargo in like 1953 against East Germany, then today, you know, communism, because what they're not understanding is like, like, like. Sure, like in any number of like we can never know like what would have happened if X, Y, and Z had happened in 1960 or whatever. But like the vulnerabilities of the systems of communism, fascism, the Confederacy, these political systems that failed were just intrinsic to those systems. So like the fact that they were defeated, right? Like and all of these circumstances led to their defeat, right? Like so, like um, you know, why did the Soviet Union collapse? Like you can you can come up with a lot of reasons but there and a lot of things that the soviet union could have done better to maybe last a little longer like for instance not invading afghanistan in 1980s but the problem was that the system had all these kind of internal issues that were going to lead to collapse eventually and so like it's like um uh it's kind of like the excuse of like a strong wind blew it over like well it probably wasn't that strong of a system anyways so that's um you're right because they were um so yeah so that's um and, and that's just an interesting thing where and that's one of the things that i think that fukuyama did well in the book is talking about how democracy has grown over time because it, it, it is evidence of the fact that it will continue to grow because it is a stronger system so, like democracy and capitalism um as I mean, opposed to because what's it um anytime i hear like you said a communist being like oh if it wasn't for x y and z the whole world would be global communism right now and in my mind, I just think about like, well, that sounds as similar to me as like if a fascist said, if it wasn't for X, Y, Z, we'd be living in Wolfenstein right now and everything would be paradise. You know, the Germans would like rule everything. I'm like, yeah, but they didn't. They lost. So what's your point? <laughs> it's like always how I like lead it up to that. It's like, all right, cute. <laughs> I also think that like paradoxically, part of what the things that make um, fringe ideologies and like violent ideologies more visible to all of us is probably one of the reason why um, it's less likely to like do a dramatic takeover or whatever, because it's like, cause 
is the online factor. It's because so many people are like with Twitter and with social media in general um, and the internet, there's so many people who are just, who use it as kind of an identity builder and just to uh, kind of express their aggression. But at the same time, they're just, but, but they're managing to do it all like by LARPing on Twitter. So there's no actually need for them. Like that's what they're spending their time doing. So they're obviously, um, that's how, so they're obviously, so they almost gives, it's almost like an expression of their anger that, so they're doing that in substitute of, and I think this is good, of like actually doing, um, or when it's good in, when, when it comes to fascists, for example, but in substitute of doing actual, like organizing or like actual violence, like it seems like almost a lot of people with, um, like, so in some ways, in, it seems like it makes it less likely because it kind of makes it, it kind of um, so like a, it like um, translates a lot of like energy for radical politics into just the void of the internet where everything is fake. So like instead of uh, Nazis and um, and communists like killing each other on the street or whatever, they're just like uh, um, insulting each other on like Twitter and like uh, saying that they're gonna kill each other, but like all on Twitter and like not uh, leaving their house or whatever. So I might I might think that democracy is maybe a tad bit more vulnerable than Silver Rose does. I think we certainly have some, like we've argued <laughs> some degree about, I, I still have enough of my resist lib credentials to be a little bit um, worried about the possibility of backsliding in the United States. And I think that, what that doesn't square with is that in this age of the internet, right? Like, so I'm not talking about the overarching trend of history, right? If you look back to like 1900, certainly today is much, much, much more democratic than it was then. But if you look just in like the last few years, we have seen a trend of autocratic backsliding. So it's about uh, maybe 2010 or so, um, the world has gotten more autocratic. So places like Hungary, India, Poland, Tunisia, places that were once liberal democracies have now backslide more and this is in the age of the internet and at the same time since um uh about the iranian revolution in 1979 um was probably the beginning of the um rise in global jihadism both among sunnis and shias so um suicide bombing um was first developed by actually shia extremists it's now primarily known in uh, lebanon it's now primarily known for uh being common among Su um, sunnis these uh, suicide attacks um culminating of course in 9-11 so we, we, we've seen a rise in that concurrent with the rise of technology and more shared information and um what we've also seen in in uh in the united states we've seen um you know declining church attendance in a lot of these mainline churches and declining church attendance overall but we've actually seen a rise in evangelical church attendance so we're seeing like increased polarization maybe with respect to a lot of to uh, religion and to technology and to rejection of the modern world. So I, I, I don't know that I fully agree that the uh, kind of internet extremism is so benign. I, I, I kind of disagree with that. I feel especially like you are right. Democracy is starting to have its cracks where it's going to be able to slip through maybe, but I'd agree with Derek on that one that I do believe democracy has potentiality. Keyword, potentiality. I'm not banking either way or the other. I'm pretty neutral on it. That it could fall through, which I wouldn't really care either way if it did, because I've seen a lot of flaws in democracy as well as a system. But that's just from a lot of reading of like, you know, the Greek philosophers and going in later to like Hans Hermann Hoppe and people like that who had their critiques on it. And 
it's interesting because there's a lot of systems that we take for granted we don't pay attention to that is very pinnacle in our day-to-day lives that we don't really think of alternatives for like most of the time when i say like yeah i'm not really for democracy everyone's knee-jerk reaction is like oh without democracy what do you want then a dictatorship and it's kind of like i gotta sit there and look at them baffled like you know there's more than two options besides democracy full-blown dictatorship you know like that's just a thing that baffles me when talking about especially like i said topics that are very common for our day-to-day lives and i'm like hey you know i just think there could be a better alternative besides democracy dictatorship like i don't think it's that black and white of a conversation i'm curious what is like the the kind of government that you would prefer Oh, I'm fairly libertarian, so I definitely do that stuff and try to live by my values and day-to-day lives. So you made a good point, though, Silver, earlier when you're talking about, like, the communists or all these people LARPing online. I made sure to do the opposite of that. Like, so when I started reading more into the Mises School of Thought, I was pretty interested in their economics and more moral philosophical takes. So I try to say, like, hey, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and, you know, don't just preach about it, but do it. So, like, example, like, core fundamentals of paleo-libertarianism, like, limited government. I'm down at the town hall anytime they have a meeting for our local town and we're doing arguments basically being like, hey, for the past couple of decades, the public sector has been failing these departments. Why don't we open it up a little bit more and let the private sector take over or, you know, traditional values. I attend mass. I try to live my life as best as I can as a Catholic and I'm not forcing that down your throat. I'm just saying like, hey, this is how I do my things. If you like it and I hope you consider talking about it type thing. Anti-globalism, I'm very pro-economically, you know, for local communities like i always try my best to shop local or get local goods as much as i can like whether that be me going down to the local butcher shop and getting meat from there instead of like some like walmart deli that's something i always prefer to do it's just stuff like that pushing back on some like what's it cultural social changes as well i'm very skeptic on that where i'm not one of the belief that just because we can doesn't mean we should basically i'm very against that ideology just being like yeah we have X, Y, and Z now. We should like embrace that. I'm like, why though? Like, what's the reason or argument for why we should type thing? But yeah, I'm very pro local, um, pro individual liberty and pro freedom for like economics. But that's always just been my views, and I try my best to like actually live by example by those views instead of just like you said, preaching it online or like doing a LARP. So, um, when you say that you see that there's a system better than democracy, do you consider? the united states to be democratic or are you of like the the kind of conservative view that like there's a difference between constitutional republicanism and democracy i would say there is a difference but i don't see it as being that big of a difference of a thing because like my biggest issue with democracy is that even if someone argues like oh this isn't a real democracy we need a pure democracy that pure democracy would always evolve into something that has more authoritarian roots and more people in power Thomas Hobbes, if you ever read his look on his book on Leviathan, was a very strong critique against anarchist thought, where he said, "Okay, even if you make these societies where you break things down, if you look at the history of man, they always rebuild them. You could only be a quote unquote anarchist for so long before people are going to rebuild or want government or enable these things in place. So like when I hear someone says like, yeah, we just need to spread more democracy, just more and more and more. I'm like, okay, that's cute and all, but like in the next decade or two, they're going to revert back to either their old system or they're going to try to like twist it to their benefit. A good example is like the Middle East and Afghanistan right now, where America is trying to shove democracy down its throat for 20 years. 
and the moment we left, they just reverted completely back to their old system. And I'm like, okay, cool. It's like, there we go. <laughs> but but so is this more like a more like a, of an argument that we shouldn't the kind of moral relativism? Like we shouldn't uh, push our like push um, democracy or our conception of democracy, especially by force to the rest of the world? Or do you think that the U.S., for example, should be um, less democratic? And what exactly would you think would that entail? Do you think they're like, do you think people should vote or are you going to say say both? Because here's my thing. I am not opposed to the idea of us like going to different places and introducing democracy. My issue is when we force it upon them. That's where I have a big issue because there's a lot of nations and places. Europe has done this too through um, colonization where I felt like it was very net positive where they were introducing concepts as like, you know, enlightenment concept, like, Hey, individual rights, freedom, democracy, here are these things, which I thought were a good thing. I don't think, though, it was morally right for them to force it upon these groups of people. So that's my big thing right there, where I find a very big difference between voluntarily or coercion. Because I feel like if you're forcing it on someone, you're um, corroding them. But if you're offering it, you're basically saying, like, hey, look how successful we're doing. Lead by example, basically. Like, we're doing this. Do you want to, like, be more like this? If they say yes, good job. Then you get to help them out, like, set up their systems. If they say no, okay, no hard feelings. Leave them low. Go to the next person. Like... That's how I kind of see it like that. I'll let maybe uh, Derek respond more. But more yeah, and I, I kind of agree somewhat with that, but I guess I guess the key, the, the dichotomy of the question is um, what do you're saying when you're saying let? Because obviously if you let individuals, if you, the argument is uh, individually everybody should decide your destiny or whatever, then that almost goes in the opposite direction because that would support uh, forcing other countries to be democracy. A democracy well, I let was like introducing their governments and stuff like that. Like, you know, I know if but I, you know, but state, I, like, yeah. I don't agree, but I guess that's because that's, but it's just an, what I'm pointing is like a different distinction because that's giving autonomy to, I guess, the, to the, to like the group or to the leaders or, or maybe Derek, because I know Derek was saying I had a disagreement with Derek over. So maybe, I don't know if I'm articulating it. Yeah, what's up, Derek? Oh, I don't know if it's, no, it was just, no, because I guess what we were disagreeing, because I was kind of saying what you're saying, and I guess what he, and that um, it seems like forcing democracy on countries that aren't ready for it seems kind of um, to have a lot of, I think he has a lot of. Um, so I don't know. Um, so the, 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 what I would say, the, the main advantage of democracy is that through competitive elections, it gives a nonviolent. Uh, mechanism to nonviolently change the government. So, um, and that leads to stability. And everyone has the ability to, through voting, um, participate in overthrowing the government essentially without violence, which is well, not a system, not doesn't exist in authoritarianism. So, when Democrats lose in 2016, they um, have no reason to then revolt against the government because in 2020 they um, have a chance to win again. But there, this, this is going back to what I was saying, though, like, I don't look at it as a black and white dichotomy if we either have democracy or authoritarianism. There was other systems that existed far before democracy and authoritarianism respectfully existed. Actually, um, Paul Ryan, he wrote a really good book on this called On Politics, where he gives a breakdown for like all like from as basically earlier than the Greeks, like around the um, Mesopotamians and their political systems through like current day 
where he highlights like the main pivotal political stuff. But it's interesting to read about. But like my disagreement of like, oh yeah, you could just vote and like get a different person is like that enables a very short term focuses in which elected officials in a democratic system they would often have to face the pressure to deliver these short-term results or promises to secure a re-election. And we've been seeing this every time. Like, anytime you have an election in America, you'll have either a Republican or Democrat makes these very brazen statements saying things like, oh, vote for me and I'll do this and this and this. And when the time they're in, they never do it or they do a very subpar job at it. Whether it's Donald Trump saying, vote for me and I'll build you a giant glorious wall, never happened. Or whether it be with Biden saying, you know, I'm going to, like... Banned, you know, AR-15s, two years in, never happened, not even went close to it. In fact, it was the opposite. It got slapped down by Supreme Court. Same with, like, you know, student debt forgiveness. Like, and that's my issue is when you enable short-term focus like that, which I feel democracy inherently does, it leads to more long-term consequences because it's a big game of hot potato where people are playing pass the ball, vote for me at these big promises that they never go through with. So it's just setting people up for failure to vote for people who won't do what they're doing. That's one of my biggest critiques of democracy inherently. One of the problems though with that are failures of actually some of the anti-democratic um, systems like the Supreme Court is um, anti-democratic. And I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. It was made to be a check on a uh, direct democracy or whatever, but you're saying that because, but, but that's why, so, cause you're saying the reason you're against democracy is because presidents aren't delivering on their promises but then you're giving examples where the reason they're not able to they're not delivering it's not that they're delivering on their promises necessarily yeah it's not that they're necessarily delivering on their promise is that they're pitching too large of a thing to do just to get elected basically where it's becoming silly at this point where they're like saying vote for me and i will do such groundbreaking changes that i'll be the greatest president ever and they can't do this because like you said there's checks and bounces in place to stop from doing this if anything i would much more rather advocate for a more longer term position where their results could be shown through a longer term scale basically if that makes any sense i'm that's what i would try to advocate more instead of this short hot potato between four year four year it's funny too because the romans actually did this where they would have candidates who were, let's say you had two people like on an oligarch where they would bring these people up, say, all right, you're going to do this and this. What do you have ideas on? And then the emperor would pitch his ideas. And over a period of time, he would accomplish these things. And if he didn't, they would replace him for the next second running man, basically. So almost like a VP, if you will. And then that person would fill in and he would start picking up the slack of what's left off from the oligarch saying this is what we need most. I'm not advocating for oligarchy, of course. I'm just saying, like, there's a lot of, like, flawed systems in democracy people don't think of. Because it's a topic a lot of people don't really argue of. Because they see it so black and white and polarized as, like, we need democracy. We're going to have, like, you know, whatever ism, like, dictatorship, fascism. Which I just don't believe is, like, historically accurate at all. I have a question for Silver Rose. When you say um, forcing a country on a... Uh, a democracy on a country that's not ready for it. What what does that mean to you? How could you possibly know that a country is not ready for democracy or is ready for democracy? I was trying to. I actually don't. I was just trying to articulate the both positions because what I was. I guess what I was trying to um, say was I wanted is that point out that there's like a paradox between two different um, ideas of kind of self determination um, and where that oh, yeah. leads in foreign policy. Yeah. So if you think of um, so one idea of self determination would be countries should self-determine 
what system of government they have. And thus, in that view, um, the U.S. intervening to change their system of government um, is a violation of that. But then I guess one of the, in another view, um, would be that kind of an indiv individual self-determination. And in that view, if you think democracy is a system that promotes individual self-determination the best, that would lead you to kind of the opposite conclusion. Well, Actually, also, the, the, definition of the definition of democracy is that the people are self-determining there. Yes, that's what I was trying to, yeah, no, that's exactly what I was trying to so say. So my self-determination would lead you. Am. Like, I'm not actually, or sorry, I'll let you, but I'm not actually very, although the, you kind of convinced me to be a bit more moderate, I'm not exactly sure, I haven't, don't have a fixed position on this, and I think there's a lot of nuances in foreign policy um, the, the debate, but I do think there is, and this is a fly thinking, I do explain something you've convinced me of, and with that argument is I do think there's a flaw of the argument, oh, this country doesn't want democracy or or that would be a violation because it's it's i mean because it that's seeing it's like who is they and yeah the whole point of democracy right. is giving it's the, dic the dictator who's in charge doesn't want democracy and but derek you also Taliban need to be careful you need to be careful of like the definitional argument though because what i've seen is like what's stopping let's say hypothetically i'm a communist and i argue for you I'm like derek why do you support liberalism why not communism Communism, by definitionally, is everyone gets to have a lot of stuff. We all like get to share stuff. Why wouldn't you want that? Come on, Derek. Don't you want people to be happy? It's kind of like the same thing where I'm like, Derek, you know, why are you against democracy? Democracy is simply just people get more freedom. When like you gotta look historically, like what did it take to get there, and like what are the costs? Because I don't believe in any perfect system, quote unquote. And I feel like it's us, our job as people to rationally break down the pros and cons and be able to select which ones are better to go forward, if you will. Is there a system of government other than the United States that you think is better than the U.S. government? <laughs> My bias is going to slip through a little bit. Um, huh. I say there's bits and pieces of other governments that I feel like they're doing best at and bits and pieces they're doing worst. I would still argue, even though I believe America has its flaws, that we're probably doing the best at this moment. But we could definitely be doing better, and I don't think that's a negation of either or. So, like, example, I said at the beginning of this podcast, I think Germany has the best healthcare system in the entire world. They're dominating that field, and for good reason. It's a very complex and fleshed-out system that's been taking decades to build on. So now they got a pretty functioning one. I feel like places like Saudi Arabia does very good on, you know, like oil management and stuff like that. Something in America we don't have that they beat us in. We could do a lot more by like Alaskan oil fields, but a lot of restrictive policies does not allow us to go up there, unfortunately, for like that. There's a lot of certain things I look at other places. It'd be nice for me just, you know, almost like looking at countries like a buffet palette, just me taking bits and pieces here and there. And at the end of the day, I have a nice, beautiful plate of all my favorite things. So... Yeah, as of now, I feel like America is probably the best country, but it's still has work to do, like anywhere else. What about you? Do you have anything? Um, I think in a lot, in some respects, America is is one of the. Well, I mean, it's just it's it's probably the richest country aside from like oil and gas, 
countries and like tax havens like like Liechtenstein or like the Canary Islands are richer, but that's per capita, but that almost doesn't even count. And there, so certainly in some respects, the United States is one of the best countries to live in the world. But we have other issues, right? We have um, just just immense wealth. Um, there's no question as to that. The U.S. economy. It's a great, you can enter, I mean, I've talked to immigrants who come here and they're like, oh, you could, from Thailand or wherever, and you could never enter a job at my age. And like, like they're like Uber drivers and they're just so happy with the economic opportunity that they have in the United States. Um, but then we have issues. We have social problems that um, countries poorer than us don't have. Uh, a lot of our wealth winds up going to drugs, to um guns to um although you may not consider the guns thing an issue but um you know it's just just there's a lot of murder in the, there's a lot of murder in the united states though, um regardless of, of the causes there's a lot of uh, drug overdoses our life expectancy is shorter than other countries for this reason due to in large part to deaths of despair um, and so, uh, and there's, there's also, um, vast inequality that has grown since the 1970s, uh, maybe smaller than it was, you know, a couple hundred years ago. Like, so it's possible to exaggerate how much inequality has grown. We're not as unequal yeah, as things you see as bad. I don't really, I feel neutral and I don't really care about like the whole blindless pursuit of like equality is, isn't really like on my top priority thing. Where it's not something I'm like massively concerned about. Like I'm more concerned about you know health and fitness of the people. I don't really care as much to have like a booming GDP, which I'm sure me and you could agree about. Like a good example is Japan. Japan has like a very strong like GDP and economic system compared to the rest of the world. Yet they have the highest suicide rate. They have the lowest birth rate. They have like the lowest marriage rate. Like it's just depressing over there because. To them, it's like soulless machines going to their job, clocking out, it's an endless rat race, where I'm just like looking at that like, yeah, cool, you have a good economy, but what about like everything else though? Same to like, I think I was I was arguing with a tanky the other day, and he kept like brazenly boasting about how like, you know, superior the USSR space program was. And I'm like, yeah, if you're seen as being like your only pro for a country, sure, but I could point to like dozens of examples of like where people were mass starving. Because of a command economy that did not how did not know how to properly quota or distribute the means of production, and thus leaving their people to starve, and that's something I definitely agree with, though. Yeah, and I guess I think going back to to that or to some of the points of some of the flaws of the um of some of the West and of the U.S. specifically, I guess I I think I would attribute a lot of those to not to democracy, but to capitalism, and I think in a lot of ways, more democracy is the answer to a lot of that. Because um, I think that there's there's different, especially when it comes to like thing to a lot of the excesses of, for example, consumer consumerism. Because there's a difference between kind of uh, subconscious choices. For example, if people kind of um, like, for example, when it comes to this is just kind of a stupid example, but like, by people like, for example. Um, dying but like health outcomes because people are like um, buying a lot of junk food or there's a lot of junk food and in some ways you could say that um that is and in some ways you could say that's a victory of like individual choice like people are choosing because that's what they're they're putting their money at and i think that's some of the arguments that are pro-cap 
capitalism is that um, capitalism is the, actually this is uh, actually gives people more freedom than even um, democracy, or at least for like uh, for this. I, this is like I've heard libertarians say this that you don't even like an- libertarians who are like anti democracy saying you don't even need um, you should be you don't need any you don't really need any social policy or any government because the because uh, people's individual choices are reflected in market consumption. But I would say that there's a difference between kind of um, subconscious or kind of like id choices and more uh, reflective ones that are done through uh, voting and government. I would argue, though, that's more of an ANCAP take because you'll see the ANCAPs advocating for the abolition of government. Well, people like myself, like paleo-libertarians, we advocate more of a limited government because I still, like I said, reading Thomas Hobbes definitely got me out of my anarchist phase where I realized the importance and relevancy of government but hey really quick thing i just want to correct um i was rethinking what i was saying it's not really equality i have an issue with it's more equity i just blanked on the word what it meant i was like oh wait yeah there's a difference in equity and equality that's what i was thinking of but yeah no just to one point to go back but i see people say that even for like a more limited government and i guess i would say that i think a lot of the problems of the of modernity or like of the west kind of are caused by um, an absence of kind of by giving too much power to kind to market forces and not enough to kind of fought, uh, fought through public policy where for example if you had people vote on like uh, do you want to ask should we add like should we restrict for example like addictive like the power of like food companies like addictive stuff in their food or like to because um, the U.S. has way more uh, liberal laws on this than like in Europe, for example, where a lot of uh, addictive, um, really bad for you stuff is is illegal. You in the, in like in when people think it through or like oh, vote, most yeah. people vote uh, for that policy, even if when they buy stuff, they 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 still buy. So I think yeah, so that's attention. But yeah, oh, actually, another going back is what you were talking like, about equity versus equality. I'm curious how do you define both, and is it like are you making an equality of outcome versus opportunity distinction, or what's the I definitely view it as equality of opportunity, not equality of outcome in a way. And I feel like that's a flaw that you commonly and colloquially see with people advocating for equity, where I'm not just a fan of it. Mainly one is because equity is such a subjectivity. I mean, sorry, such a subjective way of like defining it. And it's very hard to see how you could implement it without it having drastic backfires with unintended quans- I'm sorry, consequences, where it's like, to the point where when you argue, it's like, what do you even constitute as equitable? Like, we're talking equitable distribution of resources or properties or opportunities. Like, that could be subjective. Like, same as, you know, other consequences that come up. Like, hey, what about preferential treatment to certain groups that might foster resentment or per- perpetuate stereotypes or undermine merit-based systems? That's the issues I see in equity over um, equality like that. And it's interesting, Thomas Sowell actually did a really good point on this with the whole affirmative action stuff, his opinion on it. He said when he was going through medical school and he said a black man going through medical school at his time, basically, if he was able to earn a PhD and be in an area to work at, they all respected him and don't really mess with him like the black gentleman. The reason why is because all the people in the room knew he had to work twice as hard to get to the position where he is now. But the drawback to like a system like affirmative action is now it's objectively proven that people are being put into like classes or courses or colleges that they 
score-wise shouldn't be in, and you have a very high element of resentment to them, almost. And he says, like, now for front of action, if, like, a black guy was to get in that same position, they look at him resentfully, thinking, like, oh, you just got a handout to be here, basically. Like, you were literally just a token of the office, which I find to be very toxic and disgusting, and that's why I don't really agree with systems that enable that, if you will. But, Derek, were you going to say something earlier? Um, uh, yeah, so, um, I was, so, um, uh, it's, so, um, hold on, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, we were going to talk about, um, what makes a man. <laughs> oh, before, before. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up, Derek. <laughs> no, yeah, no. I, oh, yeah, she wanted before, me to... yeah, let's talk about you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. okay. Oh, Wait, Silver, you want to talk about the equality? Oh, yeah. so go ahead. Silver Rose yeah. is cutting me off. You see, you see how this, you see how this works. Oh yeah, I understand how this works. We need this. Yeah, <laughs> we need this man-centered area. <laughs> I don't want. Okay, so before devolving into a uh, um, uh, cringe. Uh, oh yeah, I actually had a question about the your equality because I guess my problem with the kind of standard equality of opportunity versus um, outcome distinction. It seems to me that like enforcing equality of opportunity, that, that's something that requires, um, that would require almost totalitarian, like that's because uh, intervention, even more so than I think anybody even on uh, the socialist left would be arguing for, because what would that, because so that would almost- So I, I don't I, agree with that. I've heard that, I've seen that argument, that equality yeah, of agree. opportunity requires more intervention than equality of outcome. Equality of opportunity requires a lot of intervention. Don't, don't get me wrong. It does not require, equality of outcome is the communist model, right? That's the, uh, the centrally planned economic model where everyone gets the same, in theory at least, although perhaps not in practice. That's, that has been the equality of, and then if you have equality of outcome, it's implied that you have equality of opportunity. Equality of opportunity is a much lower standard than equality of outcome, I think. So I think a lot, I think part I agree, of the depends how you're defining things, but if you're defining equality of opportunity as literally as what it says it means, um, then that would mean you have being born in a rich family versus a poor family that's going to hugely impact uh, this goes back to what I was saying earlier, the whole equity thing, though. It's like, it's so subjective and semantically different for every person. I don't see it being feasible or a very useful system to advocate for if it's different upon every definition. No, but what we, no, but well, I'm you would just have to, you would just have to abolish, no, but the only form of, and you are, hey guys, let's not talk over each other real quick. Go ahead, Silver. Oh, yeah, no, I was saying, because I hear conservatives and you were arguing for equality of opportunity. And I guess my confusion is, seems to me that equality of opportunity um, is, would require like a pretty, because that would mean, because what does equality of opportunity mean? If it means that you have the same opportunity, that means that you can't, uh, you need to all be born, make sure that all families have the same amount of wealth well, for the kids to basically equality of like outcome argument like that like you're the outcome is like you're all born in a good area born on this i don't believe in that system and that's 
I find no, to be very equality of opportunity implies the same thing. Because my definition, yeah, all right, here I'll give you my definition of equality of opportunity, as in to be in a society where everyone would have a shot at doing something doesn't necessarily mean you have to be equal to your neighbor. So, like, let's say the neighbor right across from me and neighbor across from then, I would argue we all have the equality of opportunity we want. And we are all in vastly different, like, wealth brackets. We're in different, like, cultural settings, different religious beliefs, etc. Like, I don't look at them differently in that way like that. So when I say equality of opportunity, I mean, like, hey, we should have systems in place to not let you, like, basically discriminate upon others based solely on things they can't control, like your race, gender, religion, etc., etc. Like, I don't find it moral to for me to open a business and to be like, oh... Hey, by the way, um, I'm not serving you because you're X, Y, or Z group. I don't think that's a good idea. I think it's very scummy. So when I say equality of opportunity, I mean like we're in a system where regardless of what you are or where you come from, you still have the opportunity to attend a school, go to college, do all these things like that. It's not a promise given like these are handed to you, but you have the opportunity to do though, do so and make your own life decisions and choices going forward. That's what I mean when I say that. Okay, so okay. That your civil rights point because you're more um because so many conservatives are against um that part of the civil rights law the part that like imposes well, on against it, but i believe the solution in a very different way from other conservatives do so like i look at it very simply like this if let's say i open up a business and derek opens up a business and on my business in this hypothetical scenario i have a sign outside that says whites only while Derek doesn't have a sign, instead his sign says anyone welcome. The consumer are naturally going to go to Derek more because, hey, everyone wants to go to Derek. He doesn't discriminate. He has more of a customer base. More people are going to want to go to his supply. While mine, I'm already losing my customer. I'm losing my profit, my consumer. So through a system, I would naturally like phase out and burn out while Derek would be very prosperous and going forward. That's how I see it like that, where... And especially if you look at the economics of the Jim Crow era, people would argue like, hey, the government was like enabling it. No, the government was putting a chokehold, making these policies in place. Well, if you looked at everything from an economic scale, even into Jim Crow South, like they were gradually moving away from the whites only model because the North was crushing them economically and more people were wanting to move North for that. So they're slowly adapting by the market and saying like, hey, if we don't change this stuff and we have to like sell to like black customers or minorities, we're going to lose like we're going to lose economically and be poor so a lot of like businesses you saw near the ends right before the civil rights era like popped off and and the civil rights bill in 1965 a lot of these places were doing this which is pretty interesting well, to read about i'm sure that that's true that in a lot of places businesses were opening up but what you had in the southern united states in a lot of places were whites were forming a cohesive like co what is called a consumer monopoly where they were basically um, boycotting any businesses that um, integrated. Because, right, like, logically, a business wants to sell to both white people and black people because then they can make more money, right? Logically, that makes sense. Yeah, but it goes back but to the my risk is, the risk earlier. is now that you face a boycott from the whites if you sell to blacks. So that yeah, was, but now this goes back to what I was saying earlier. You had the government getting involved with the Jim Crow era policies that were making it harder for them to change over time because they were enabling and encouraging these boycotts you speak of. So, like, people think, like, from the South, that's why I really hate arguing Confederates sometimes. They'll say things like the Jim Crow era is so good and stuff like that. I'm like, no, it wasn't. 
we are economically poor. We're getting stomped by the North because they're enabling more equality of opportunity. And while we were not, we were having a chokehold on the system with a government enabling that and encouraging that. Like you said, like a lot of these, like, you know, boycott white things that were happening in the South economically hurt us way worse. And any businessman at that time did not agree with those things. But and for the ones that are like, you know, small rural businesses, like sure, like in those towns where we have like, you know, no like black people at all. I'm like, whatever, you know, you guys are going to fizzle out and go away in a couple of like years. Like, I don't really fathom or care about that much compared to like the bigger scale, grander scale of things. But. Yeah, that's how I feel in all of that, though. Um, Derek, so. What makes a man a man for you? That's a really good question tonight. Um, well, I think, um, well, you know, Harvey Mansfield wrote a book on this called uh, Manliness. Have you ever heard of that book? I've heard uh, of it. It's like he's a conservative. Yeah. yeah, it's, um, he's, he's, I think it's, it was, his definition was confidence in the face of risk. I don't know if we want to discuss that. No, feel free to discuss it's your guys' episode. Uh, I don't know, Silver. Do you have any contributions on that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Silver, we can go around to what makes a good woman a woman, like et cetera. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm gonna give the term being born female. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> That's yeah, that, that opinion will get you canceled nowadays. Whole... More than my opinion will, because my, my opinion my... at least. My opinion allows for transgenderism, actually, because one of uh, Harvey Mansfield's examples of manliness in his book was actually Margaret Thatcher. So there, so there you go. So I guess that's more pro-trans. I have a very pro-trans take that's pretty radically different from the most of the mainstream that they don't like me for this take. I simply believe there is a divine male and feminine essence. And if you were a man and you were to get conquered in battle or get the shit beat out of you to where you were basically brought down to a bitch... Then congratulations, you just got made to a woman. So yeah, you could identify as a woman if you got beaten that hard as a guy, both physically or mentally, or whatever. I'm like, so that to me is a woman now, basically. I'm like, oh yeah, that skinny guy that doesn't lift weights or actually do these things, yeah, he's a woman now. And vice versa, if I see a girl like Ronda Rousey, like doing haymakers and like roundhouse kicks that could take your fucking head off, I'm like, oh yeah, that is um that is not a woman. That is a man right there. She just took her fucking head off, clean off her shoulders. And I'm like, that's hundred percent a man. So that's my very spicy view in the community. So I guess I guess one thing is that we need the between masculinity and femininity and being male or female or being a woman or a man. Like I do think that there is such things as um Ma there is such a thing as masculinity and femininity and i do think that perhaps for um, some social and some biological reasons uh there's like there's a distribution where men are probably more likely um to be masculine and women more likely to be feminine and i think there's um virtues in both masculinity and femininity however i think tying however i don't think however that doesn't from that doesn't logically follow that um if you're masculine, you're a man, or if you're feminine, you're a woman, and I don't really see the need of doing that, or even that it's bad, or that if you're a man, it's bad if you're feminine, or if you're a woman, it's bad if you're masculine. Um, well, here's I'm my thing, though, it's about my biggest critique to feminism, though, like, feminism as a system and ideology inherently strips away the masculine-feminine archetype, and they try to merge it into this weird androgynous thing. 
Well, at least the like, trans community. This is what I always found weird about the trans community, but they're differentiated. Unlike the LGB, the T in this actually acknowledges, like, yes, there is a masculine and feminine archetype. That's why I strive to be these things. Like, I was a biologically man type thing. I strive to be, you know, a woman. I'm like, okay, you acknowledge these things. But feminism is this weird morphic thing where it's like women basically being angry, saying like, yeah, I could do anything a man could do. I'm like, no, you can't. Vice versa. A man can't do anything a woman could do. Like, I feel like we all have our unique things we're good at type thing. But here you're conflating being male and female. Because you just said before that you think that some women um, can embody uh, masculinity and some men can embody oh, yeah, feminine. Liars, 100%. That's why you, so you see think there are, yes. of trans people is because they are small and they are the outliers that break through these barriers where they're like yeah but they embody the masculine or female archetype so, so, so there's maybe a small that are extreme outliers but wouldn't you say there's also a spectrum of traits a spectrum of traits indeed i feel like that is but that's more of the nuance and like getting into a, like weeds of the situation if you will where, yeah so i would yeah. say if you acknowledge that it's not a complete like it, that there's a somewhat of a spectrum and that there's um outliers and that there's um and that uh there's femininity or masculinity one is not uh, better than the other um but that they both have positives and um, perhaps some negatives uh then it becomes it becomes hard to argue that yeah, but that negate my argument saying that there's a spectrum though just me acknowledging that there could be a spectrum doesn't mean my argument falls apart because i still believe in a strong dichotomy between man and woman feminine and masculine archetypes and i believe okay, that's but what does that practically entail does that mean that you think that well, for example if a boy is like um play like playing bar like playing uh dressing like playing with uh, I feel like barbie it comes or something to our archetypical role. yeah no i got you i feel like we come into our archetypical roles when we hit usually puberty and we start to actually develop a lot more both mentally physically cognitively all these things like that where you see your true traits and characteristics come out where commonly you see men being able to be a lot more adventurous and risk-taking and aggressive in some fields you know prideful motivating leadership roles while women and like when they get into their puberty role they kind of embrace the sense of you know beauty femininity like soft things like you know dancing ballets the arts opera like sociology things like that which i think is also as equally as important as what the male brings to the table i feel like it's almost a yin and yang if you will and going back to what i said about feminism it tries to break this dichotomy, this yin and yang, and say, no, it's just gray. There is no black and white. It's all just a gray mess. And I'm like, oh, that's what that's 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 Like, why do I want to live in that world? Like, <laughs> But you think that part of, if you do you think that these distinctions are um, biological or social? Uh, both. Okay, because I was going to say, I think part of the problem is if, if the argument is that a lot of these differences, the average differences um, in male and female behavior um, are biological, then it seems like there would be no need to enforce them further. And also it would mean- well, like, Maybe not enforced. No, yeah, so, definitely enforce. Um, what? I, I guess in, you have in kind of in the mainstream society, um, there's maybe a some degree of a stigma against like, more feminine men, more masculine women are going to get like bullied more in school, for instance, and whatnot. But then in progressive circles, you almost have like a reverse stigma where there's, um, to some degree, they're like 
celebrate those uh, identities that are uh, traditionally more marginalized on average and their kind of more as a stigma towards like more um, women who are rather feminine and then men who are who are traditionally masculine. And so, um, but then I think you have in like the trad sphere, they are now reacting to that progressive reaction and they go like in the opposite extreme where they are like, women should be like, uh subservience and like you know like wear like 1800s dresses and like yeah i don't you know uh cook and all that sort of stuff and then and like men should be like uh like the you know the whole manosphere i don't need to get into all of that but there's there's <laughs> um but i think that there, like i so i think that there's like a balance to be had and i think that there may be something to be said for like certainly like i don't think that you can talk about like the appeal of Joe Rogan without talking about the fact that he's like a manly like uh, man. And that's, there's maybe not that many um, like, uh, like, you know, not that many guys are going to identify with um, like the guys who listen to Joe Rogan are not going to like equally identify with like uh, um, Rachel Maddow or I know <laughs> that was a bad example or like Chris Hayes or someone like, uh, just trying to try. Yeah, sorry. This is this is terrible. Um, yeah, it's a weird but, thing I've been noticing too. Like, I hate. Listen, if Andrew Tate had a thousand haters, I'd be one of them. If Andrew Tate had a hundred haters, I'd be one of them. If Andrew Tate had one hater, I'd be one of them. If you had zero, I'd be dead. Like, I am the biggest Andrew Tate, Tate hater you ever been the planet. Right, but like, like it's like, yeah, it's just he objectifies it's important to understand yeah. why boys are listening to Andrew Tate as well, right? Andrew Tate yeah, is it's, like you said earlier, it's a reaction all thing. All. It's definitely the reaction to feminism pushing it and shoving it down in people's throats, where they feel like they're being devaluated and like treated like as a lesser, if you will. Like where, like I think Shulan Head, although she does definitely has a lot of misses, she made a good video on it recently talking about the male loneliness epidemic and crisis where. Traditionally, women basically would go to certain roles, but now you have feminism shoving them in the workforce, making them do things, where it's now devaluing men to where they feel like, wow, like I used to be like my role as a provider, and now she does all that and more. Like, how am I supposed to like actually be of interest, like be on scale for like people to pay attention to me? Because now they're only going for like X certain group of like people. And my argument has always been this find your religious beliefs, go to church. Take care of yourself physically and both mentally, and the time will come where you'll meet a nice woman, you'll date them, and vice versa. But you'll have idiots like Andrew Tate being like, oh, no, what you need to do is actually stoop down lower than them. You need to be like a man whore. You need to sleep with a bunch of women. You need to treat them like utter shit and trash, and then you'll like settle with someone eventually. And I'm like, that's very gross. Like, you're telling young men hedonism and materialism is the answer, while I'm telling them like personal health and fitness and religion is the answer. It's like, that's why I hate the manosphere so much, because it's done so much damage to the talk of, like, what we could do to help men that it just almost, like, diluted the conversation. Now, like, every time we bring this up, it's like you said earlier, like, oh, if you're a manosphere dude, you're, like, pro-man's rights, you must think, like, every woman wants to wear, like, you know, 18 layers of clothing. I was like, no, don't do that. I just don't want to be with a woman who dresses like a whore in public. Like, I don't feel like I'm setting a high bar there because I'm just doing that myself, like... As a man, I wouldn't go out in public dressed like very promiscuous, like, or I wouldn't do these things that make me like look like a vulgar idiot, basically, which I feel like is a fair standard. Like, if you're going to ask someone else to do it, you should equally apply that to yourself. I like that. That's how I view things. Yeah, well, I so I agree with some of that. Like, I agree with, um, I do think that there is, 
some parts of the left that are too hostile towards um, helping men or towards acknowledging that there's certain um, that there's certain issues that do um, affect that do disproportionately affect men. I would say. I would say, but however, I would say your last point seems to almost contradict because you said if you're expecting something of yourself, then you should expect it. Uh, if you're uh, telling, like you were, you said, oh, if you're expecting, like, oh, woman not to dress like whores, then you also should not dress like a whore. That seems to be against. That seems to be the opposite of the kind Man, of. Whore. You're right. You're right. Whore, I'll say, let me no, you're right. I'll say. Like, let me rephrase. Like, I would say enforcing standards. Yeah. No, I would say definitely like. In the sense of like, obviously, men don't dress like whores, but in the sense of like, hey, you know, this is women's vice. Men also have vices. For men, I believe our vices is being quick to anger, you know, or overindulgence in like alcohol or drugs, stuff like that. I'm like, hey, so here's Change a good example. Yeah, no, exactly. Where it's like, hey, if I'm with my woman in public, I would expect her not to dress like a whore, while I know she would expect me not to get brazenly drunk where I'm causing a scene and acting like an idiot. I feel like that's a fair, fair standard to have because, like I said earlier, there is a male-female dichotomy. Fine for like an individual standard, but I guess the issue is I, that I have is the kind of universalizing of it, um, of it, and the idea that I think that in in the kind of traditional gender roles discourse, the idea is that these are things that need to be enforced. Um, it's not because it, it's not just that they're saying that this is what they want for their relationship; they're saying this this is what um, everybody else needs to do. And I think that, yeah, that I, feel, I don't see any qualms of me was uh, advocating for my view. Like in a perfect world, I'd like everyone to date in a similar fashion of how I date, but I'm not, I don't see an issue of me advocating for that. I see an issue of me forcing it on people, but I don't also want to have the lackadaisy approach of, yeah, man, you do you. Because like I look at couples like destiny, for example, the guy's a literal cuck. He is dating <laughs> girls in an open relationship and she's getting railed by a BBC like every other night. And I slowly see this man mentally decline and get depressed and just look like a hideous hollow shell of himself. And he's saying straight to the camera, guys, it's okay, everyone. Relationships work differently for everybody. And he's like on the verge of tears. And I'm like, bro, this is pathetic. Like, I'm not going to advocate for this being normalized in society. Like, no, I'm not doing this. Well, like, I mean, so I, I'm not going to go talk about Destiny's personal. I mean, but, but what I was getting up before, although I, although I mean, I feel like he seems to be to really want the open uh, relationship as well. But what's the, what's the point of open yeah, relationships if only the woman also, does I, it? I mean, I think Destiny's kind of a jerk, but they seem. I think they seem like a happy couple. I think a lot of the trad thing is like projection. Silver, so I need to show you some more shit. Then, if you think they're a happy couple, like there's dozens I, upon dozens of clips of him just being miserable because of the relationship because of their so relationship okay well you'll have to show me the drama because yeah, i've only, I've only seen them, they, them seeming to be happy and like uh trads going completely insane no also, i'll definitely send you some clip on the destiny lore of like his slow mental and physical decline ever since he's been in an open relationship it's i remember quite sad remember destiny destiny defended uh Steven Crowder after Crowder was like a dick to his wife. Yeah, no, fuck him and for Steven Crowder. Yeah. That's disgusting. Like, yeah, that's no, that was horrible. Thing. But Destiny, I don't know. So I thought I, I don't actually know that much about Destiny, but I thought that that might say something about his relationship. That Destiny, because Destiny's left wing. Yeah, well, he's and, kind of he. Well, he's kind he's of anti far left. He's like he's like he's the liberal Ben Shapiro. Is how I describe him as a, he's like center left, but like for liberals. Like I don't know. That's how I see it. 
he's he's pretty smart but oh yeah okay so i guess what i was saying was i think because what you were saying i think you're kind of contradicting yourself because here you're saying if in my ideal world everybody would um would like do as me or would be uh, all men would be masculine all women would be feminine but then earlier you were saying that you think that um you were more talking in terms of archetypes and that you think that there's some women who can embody masculine archetypes and vice no, versa. what I'm saying is my grounding and axiomatic belief is that men and women are in archetypical forms through the spirit of the masculine and feminine. That is my um, axiom. I'm arguing from this axiom saying because of that, I feel like men and women should act accordingly to these roles to have the most utility functioning relationships and have more prosperity and success. That's what I'm saying. I'm okay advocating for this thing. I think it applies with 95% of people. That's what I'd say. Because obviously I'm not dealing in absolutes. I'm sure there's this rare once in a million like opportunity. Like let's say, I don't know. It's like some really weird thing. I can't even think of an example. I'm sure some exist out there that people have argued. But definitely not arguing absolute, but majority. And what's the argument for why this needs to be enforced? Like, if this is, if you think this is what people naturally gravitate, I never said enforced either. I said like it should be like encouraged. Like, so my view is that I constantly mog on and make fun of men who are in cuckold relationships because I find it utterly pathetic and disgusting. Same way as I actively make fun of and like mog on dudes who beat their wives. Like Stephen Crowder is a piece of shit human. He is a little bitch because he would rather hit a woman instead of fighting a man. That's how I see it. Like, he's literally a coward to me. Like, I have zero respect for him. That's why, like, you could, like, you could fight against normalizing something without forcing your view on others as well. You lead by example and you're like, hey, here's how my life is doing. People are going to follow suit soon. And you introduce it to it and you explain and you encourage basically like that. That's what I do. I think the issue is just maybe, I feel like there's several different, different things. But you're like conflating right now with like me forcing though. That's what I'm trying to tell you, Silver. Well, like I'm so not forcing about, anyone to do anything. There seems to be like, wait, one is like different conceptions of morality that perhaps from Christianity or perhaps me and you disagree with um, on like, for example. But then there's other stuff. Like, for example, would you say, what about stuff like a boy wearing um, like hold on, uh, hold on, hold on. Let me get, let me. so social oh, yeah, enforcement has emerged in almost every so presumably social norms emerge because they lead to, across different societies because they lead to some successful outcomes. So social norms like like uh, monogamy is not like limited to any one society, like norms against cheating and stuff. And then um, there are also societies, ancient societies that emerged where there it was fine for there to be feminine boys. They were socialized into the sort of their own unique gender role that was in between the two genders. Uh, basically, gay men is what we would call them in the in the U.S. today is the closest. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I had to go ahead, Derek. <laughs> um, but they were the fa fa fine in Samoa. Um, so there, it's um, you know, they're they're. But like I don't I don't know why so you're because you're not normally against social enforcement. I don't know why you're pushing this idea that there's this huge difference with uh Silver Rose, why you're pushing this huge difference with like some degree of social enforcement of norms that exist in society. I think that that's pretty that's, well, that's pretty no, well, what I think in society. What, well, I think it depends. Well, because I think that's what uh the conservative view of gender are advocating for. And I think that there would be I'm not a conservative though, Silver Rose. Okay, well, what you're advocating for, because I think everybody, because, okay, so this is an example. So I think a lot of gender differences are 
um, biological, but this is, but even this is a, but okay, for example, conservatives will say like the, um, in, for example, Norway or Sweden, they will say, um, there's, oh, there's more actually in some, in some respects, there's more gender differences in those countries in terms of, um, job interest or in some, in, and in some, to some degree, I think even percentage of time of like childcare and stuff than in, uh, Afterwards, do you guys want to get to that Scandinavian paradox? Or yeah, let's let Derek say what he's with the first thing with childcare. I think that that's obvious that patriarchal society that certain kinds of patriarchal societies. It, it so it was not when the sexual revolution happened. It was not women who started abandoning children. It was men who started becoming deadbeat dads. So that's I think that's obvious that. The traditional social norm is primarily putting social pressure on men to spend time with their kids, not on women. Women, I would think, biologically have a much stronger instinct to do that anyway. Yes, but what I was talk talking about in Nordic countries is I don't think actually there's that many deadbeat dads in, I think it's more that the, I think there are. There's way lower marriage. Versus, there's way higher out-of-wedlock marriage uh, birth rates there. But, but. There. It is the I think there are more weird. I talk about the yeah. kind of breadwinner versus caretaker like th that there's more moms who are like um at least when the kids who work part-time are stay-at-home moms scandinavia um, has this weird paradox where they have like a lot more out of wedlock births but they get married after which doesn't really make sense to me that's like a new phenomenon like strictly to like that country and it's one of the funniest thing you've ever researched well, into it, actually, it where i'm like huh that's weird like in france that's the thing as well but i guess okay so i guess my point was if if that's true, then it seems to me to show that if there's in some in many ways that that means that there's no need to if you think that um a lot of uh, for example for example that a lot of um gender differences for example let's say that you think that um it being that for example the kind of uh, provider caretaker um for young kids is beneficial. Well, if it's true that for example in countries where it's the least enforced like in Scandinavia, um, that happens naturally, then that would, that would mean that there's like no need to the own, then all that enforcing it does would be, it would force people who it doesn't work, who don't, who um, it wouldn't be beneficial for and who don't want to do it to do it. But it, like, there's no point because that's already how, like, I guess, maybe I'm well, not I think that's a straw man about, in the conservative position. I think that they say that there are biological differences between men and women and that and because of those there needs different social pressures on men and women to uh, enact roles like so it's not that men are less masculine when they're not being socialized into the male gender role they're just doing bad things like being deadbeat dads and being criminals and so that sort position, of stuff but is that so that's actually a really good point derek uh, but one second, because that's I know that's your position, but is that Sola's position? Because wasn't weren't you partly your your what you were wasn't part, partly your concern that, that men are feminine and women? Yeah, I don't argue based off of the biological. It's not my axiomatic belief. My axiomatic belief is the feminine and masculine archetype in essence. That's my main argument I make, not strictly biological. But you're okay, but your main argument is Yes, but that's, that's exactly what takes me from conservatives, I guess. And that's why I said earlier, I have a very unorthodox and spicy take on the whole trans issue. And that's my opinion with that, like my take for that. Or like, you no, know, not the trans issue, but like in general, like our typical male, female culture war stuff.
Yeah, no, because I guess I was just saying that I think that's a bit of a different argument than what, um, because what Derek is saying is that I think there's maybe some truths that there's some social norms that I think do need to be, like that there's some maybe um, uh, vices that are more common in men or in women, and perhaps there needs to be uh, more social pressure in some gendered norms. But I think that's a different argument, but the, that, but the, but the point of those norms would be um, to combat uh, would wouldn't be it would be to combat things that we agree are bad not to make not to make men, not necessarily to just make men more masculine or for the sake of it or women more feminine for the sake of it or combat um uh gender or like combat uh, uh men being feminine and women being masculine whereas it seems like what you're arguing for is that you think that it would be that even if for example um there wasn't like we were in a society where there was no of the negatives associated, like if, the, if there was a society where all, for example, men only adopted um, positive attributes of a lot of men or like a way greater percentage adopted positive attributes of femininity um, and a lot of women adopted positive attributes of, of masculinity and didn't, and, and didn't adopt and didn't start and they didn't do anything socially destructive or at least that you would consider socially destructive if done by the opposite gender you would still think that would be bad because you have a certain attachment i would not say you. socially destructive i just simply feel like people of the masculine archetype could do masculine things better than the feminine archetype and vice versa the feminine archetype could do things better than um the masculine can <clears throat> excuse me i have a I don't question it's destructive as like you're describing it. Like if we did that, like the world just collapsed. I just feel like we'd function a lot better by doing our archetypical roles. So if you look at, so, so no, you sorry. have a lot of, you have a lot of gender bending, um, gender neutral, like a lot of like, um, kind of progressive messaging. If you like watch the news and like look in movies, but the, the real world is not that way. Right. Like, so, Hard labor jobs are like 99% male. You still see that women, that mothers are working mothers and working fathers in married couples, right? The, where the fathers are devoting them, uh, women are devoting about twice as much time to taking care of kids and are working less because of that. I mean, the norms of the, that our society lives in today still by and large are these fairly conservative norms. So what is like... What I see with progressive social messaging is that it largely just doesn't square with the reality, like the world that most people live in, where, you know, the dad mows the lawn, like they're right. Just like there are still like, like by and large, most people still do live order their lives according to at least somewhat traditional gender norms. What is the change that conservatives want? Do they just find the progressive messaging annoying? Because I, I don't even think, I don't think the progressive yeah, message. I would say they're skeptical. That would be the way I'd say it. They are skeptical to the progressive messaging where they're saying, like I said earlier, it's a is all thing. Just because we should, does that mean we could? And that's a lot of conservative arguments because you'll see progressives, they traditionally, especially for cultural things, they would con consecutively argue, we need more new, more new, more new. They're throwing away the old. But a conservative or the right-wing person would be like, hey, maybe you should slow it down a minute. We're not advocating for like this, you know, archaic, you know, law set. We're just saying like, hey, you should slow down a notch just a little bit and not like go at full speed. Because, yeah, I agree like with some messaging that, hey, people's culture societies, we change and develop over time. I don't 
think it's natural how fast and drastic of a change we're doing. Like you said earlier, caused by, you know, a lot of feminist movies, especially with Hollywood, where they're portraying it like you said earlier, we're like, oh, it's equally men and women at like a construction job, which is not the case at all. If you go in real life, like I work construction, you don't see women on the workforce at all. It's all like battered, rough, beaten men. Like that's their ones doing it. Like vice versa. Like it's just it's one of those things where I feel like that's a conservative case or the right wing case about it. More skepticism, less like, you know, outright rejection, if that makes any sense. But I don't see little girls throwing away their Barbie dolls and becoming and saying that they want to be construction workers now. Uh, Bob, Bob, the builder or whatever. Um, they're like, I, I, I don't know that. I don't know. Yeah, that I the, this, <laughs> I'm skeptical of how much this messaging has even had an effect on 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 like real society. I'm not sure. I, I don't know if 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 either of you have thoughts on that. No, I 100% agree with you, actually. Silver, why didn't you tell me Derek was so based on his cultural takes? Like, I'm actually, like, popping off of this dude right now. <laughs> like, he's actually pretty oh, smart. He never, well, he never was, like, he, I think you overestimated how progressive he is. He was, he was never, like, uh, that progressive. But, oh, yeah, but I, but I was, but, but, but I don't actually think, but I don't think your position, but I'm still confused what your position even is. Because I think what Derek's position is not that we need to enforce like is because my the, my discomfort with your position is that you seem to be not okay with um gender nonconformity with because uh, no, I think there's a big difference between saying that most between talking and averages and between and with saying that like an ideal would be, there would be like no uh, feminine men and that's why in some ways I actually like the language of archetypes that you're using, but then it seems to be, but then it seemed like, because in some ways I think the language of archetypes is saying that there's a masculine and feminine archetype and that um, it can be embodied by both genders. Although I would, um, although I wouldn't agree with the, like with the trans idea that then that makes you not a woman or a man, I think. Uh, but I, I think that's actually probably a productive way of talking about these kind of things um, because it kind of both uh, kind of valorizes uh, masculinity and femininity in a way that maybe progressives, um, that maybe is a problem in progressive discourse because um, progressive discourse doesn't really like acknowledge, kind of doesn't uh, value that kind of masculinity or femininity, which is important to like most people or whatever, but it's while still allowing, while still acknowledging that um, different people can embody both or one or the other, and I guess my discomfort with your position is the idea that, um, like, men and men should all embody kind of mark, uh, masculine archetype, and women should all embody a feminine archetype. Yeah, I, I would that's where I think want that because yeah, I'm strongly against gender nonconforming ideology because to me that would be my living hell on earth, where everyone's just a bland gray of the same across the board. Me, I just find that very disgusting and nauseating and like completely detached from reality. Because like you know, Derek said, you don't see that in reality. It's not an existing thing of this message trying to be portrayed in like New Hollywood. Like a prime example of this is if you ever watched the movie Black Swan. That was a very beautifully done movie where it was I to me, I'd argue very embracing the feminine nature of the woman, the ballet, the ballerina. While later you also had movies in the old days like Clint Eastwood, um, Fistful of Dollars. To me, that is the Western male archetype basically right there. He is not only a national treasure, but he embraces the ideology of what it means to be a masculine man, where you don't take shit from people, but you don't go looking for fights anyway. There's like a very pivotal scene there 
where he's minding his business and a group of outlaws make fun of him. And he goes up to them simply and says, hey, I want you to apologize. And they're like, what do you mean? He's like, you're going to apologize for def- offending my honor. You're going to do this and this. And then they're like, or what? And he's like, all right, fine. That's how we're going to do it. He takes out a 6 shooter revolver and drops all four of them. Of course, I'm not saying this should be in reality, but I'm just saying, like, it's a good portrayal of what is the masculine and female, like, archetype, if you will. And, like, even Japanese, like, classic Japanese movies, like The Seven Samurais by... Who directed that movie again? It was um, Akira Kurosawa. That is a phenomenal piece of art right there as well. Like, that's why I like classical things like classic movies over to new. Because the new is trying so hard to push this gross abomination of this non-conforming general, like, gender bullshit. I just don't want to see. I just, it's so depressing and disgusting. I'm like, this is, like, the worst messaging. But I'm not saying that everything needs to be gray, and I don't think that's really what progressives are saying either, although maybe there is a form of feminism. Progressivism. Yeah, but But I'm saying that is the end goal, is what I'm saying, where you want eventually, and you won't literally do anything and be anyone. I find that to be a very disgusting ideology if that is your end goal it's like i don't like that it's just but, very gray and gross but wouldn't there be but the, but the instances on archetypes wouldn't there be couldn't you ignore couldn't you um value feminine and masculine archetypes while still in, while still um valuing them when they are embodied by um by the opposite gender than they would normally by the opposite sex and they would be normally be embodied by let me like, see acknowledging and appreciating right? it for example like um i've there's numerous times i've been working and volunteering for my local catholic church at a soup kitchen i'd have to get there at the crack of dawn and basically help out by cooking and like preparing meals and though though some people historically say it's a very feminine thing for me to be like cooking and preparing meals earlier to serve others i can acknowledge like yeah I think this is a thing, but I don't think it's a necessarily bad thing. I don't think I'm more feminine because I've learned how to cook through my culture, my people. But at the same time, that doesn't mean I'm embracing femininity by learning how to cook or things like that. Or, you know, same way as like there's a difference from full embrasion and like acknowledging and appreciating certain qualities, basically. Like same for women, women who want to get physically fit and be in shape. They're not trying to be these grotesque bulk bodybuilders like ronnie coleman or something they're trying to keep good physique good form so they don't like let themselves go they try to like actually strive for that i feel like working out and physical fitness and all these things like that has been historically predominantly a thing of the masculine essence and archetype and i don't see anything wrong with that my issue i've been saying time and time again is where it's the full like gray matter where it's like yeah everyone could do anything and everything perfectly equal like, I just think that's a very delusional and utopian mindset to have, basically. And I feel strongly that, of course, we're not at this point now, but it's the end goal game that progressives are trying to go for. Well, I always say, if you're, like, looking at ideology, look at the end goal of the ideology. What is the end goal of this trying to accomplish? Like, communism, for example, it's so easy to critique and break them down by just looking at their end goal. They want a moneyless, stateless, cashless, classless society of no hierarchy. That is utopia. That is nigh impossible to create and never will exist. Stuff like that, you know? Or look at, like, you know, those anarcho-capitalists, why I disagree with them a lot on. They're like, yeah, bro, I just want everything to be privatized down like, the most minute detail. I'm like, that's also equally impossible. Like, you can have critiques of things by just looking purely at end goals of things. But, yeah, well, no, I would agree with part of it. Hey, so we're away from your uh, mic. All right, so I know I would agree with part of this. I just that um that if the point that, that an end goal of everybody being the same or if there being no uh, no average um sex differences, uh, that would probably make for 
kind of if it came true, probably a worse world, and it would be like an in this in a kind of an authoritarian goal. I just don't. I just think that that's not in conflict with acknowledging that um, average differences between groups doesn't mean that there's always that both there's always outliers, and also as we're kind of alluding to before. Um, if part of the argument is that there's a positive qualities in both masculinity and femininity, then there is also something valuable about um, embodying at least some of them, some of it both. Um, in, yeah, I'm okay for adopting some characteristics. I'm just saying I'm not delusional to the belief that I am equally the same as a woman or I could equally do what's it like this androgynous thing like 2T and on par of that. Like if you were to ask me like, hey, Sola... Can you, like, raise a child from the moment of, like, birth to, like, through as good as a mother could? I'm like, of course not. I can't do that. Like, I don't have that feminine, like, essence where I could do that. But if you were asking me, like, hey, Sola, can you cook a meal? I'd be like, yeah, sure. Of course I know how to cook a meal. Like, I could do that. I feel like there's a very difference in dichotomy. And like you said, a spectrum where there's some things that are more feminine that is required by a feminine essence and more things that are by a masculine and masculine essence. If you want me to argue like what you could do, I'd say like it's definitely the things that are closer to the center, if you will. Like I said, doing physical fitness. I feel like any woman could do physical fitness. Same as like any man could learn how to cook. And any guy who says like I'm not gonna cook, that's a woman thing, he's a fucking pussy. He doesn't know what he's talking about or doing. Excuse my language, but yeah. Well, has anyone heard theory? Because Silver Rose is saying that it's this uh conservative contradiction, but I know that Alex Jones specifically posits that the government has been um, like, uh, poisoning the water to turn to reduce male testosterone levels. So I don't know if you wanted to discuss that. Wait, yeah, I'm actually curious. So I've not read into this. Do any of you guys know if that's actually like objectively proven? Like, or... I, I highly doubt it, but um, I because know, I've been I, reading I just something. It was throw it out as food for thought. Yeah. What well, actually there one is? thing that was pretty funny that like there's certain materials that was accidentally posited in water in some towns like the tap water, but it was purely by accident and not with the ulterior motive of like trying to kill testosterone in men. Like that's something I noticed, but that's all I know from this argument. I definitely don't think there's a conspiratorial element, although it, it is actually true that um, male testosterone um, has been decreasing, and there and it's partly due. To environmental factors, or I think there's also argument that it has to do with like microplastics or something, but it's definitely not. I don't think um, a conspiracy, but there is a, some truth to that. I uh, think weight weights increases testosterone, so it could just be that we do less hard labor than our grandfathers did. I mean, that's why I'm oh, always yeah, going to the gym. Like, if you are, all right. So I'm gonna say it frankly: if you are a 21 year old male and you cannot bench at least 225 or deadlift at least 315, you're doing something wrong physically. Like, no, don't get me wrong. Physical health and mental health are both very important. That's why I think people should care about more. But I've recently seen this thing where especially leftists, where they're like, oh, I'd never go in a gym because it's a toxic male environment or only right-wing dudes do it. I'm like, that's the stupidest reason I've ever heard. Go to a gym not because you're trying to like play politics or camps. So go to a gym purely for yourself. Lift weights for yourself. Get healthy for yourself, not for others like that. Like, that's just the biggest irritation thing for me. But I don't know. I'm a pretty big gym bro, and that's like one thing that annoys me. It seems like gay guys work out more than straight guys. So I don't no, know. It's embarrassing. You know what I mean? It sounds like. You don't know how many gay dudes hitting on me in the gym. I got to tell them, like, look, man, I don't swing that way. And they're like, oh, okay. And then I just go back to working out. I'm like, all right, good. 
<laughs> yeah, no, right. sometimes I see, I feel like, yeah, I feel like there's gay guys are like, oh, yeah, they, they're on average way more ripped than straight guys. That's well, it's because thing. gay men, it's, it's, well, it's, it's the incentive structure because gay men are so apparent, men are so appearance focused, so gay men have to be ripped. To get oh, yeah. to get guys. Well, to oh, maximize yeah, possibly. guys to get. That's um, really, yeah. really well, funny. No, I mean, Do you guys know Jehovah's Witness, either of you guys? Yeah, I, I knew yeah. someone. <laughs> Wait, so we're used to be a Jehovah's Witness? No, I Yeah, um, I've had one of my run-ins with them recently, so quick tangent. I was at the gym, I go late at night, and it was like I get in at 10, I'm leaving at 11.30, and I'm like, you know, get out of shower, of course I'm nude right now, I'm changing, going to my locker room. And I'm in a locker room, so I think I'm alone because it's 11.30 at night. And this random big dude behind me goes, hey, good job, buddy, I saw you pushing really hard out there. I was like, ooh. I was like, oh, yeah, um, thanks, man, you might not talk to me while I'm, like, naked right now. But I was, like, just getting my stuff ready. And then, like, I was just sitting there awkwardly trying to put my things on, and then he keeps, he has to get the message or the lingo, and then he's like, you know, we all get our power and strength and something, don't we? And then I was like, yeah, we do, sure. And then he's like, I get my power and strength from our Lord and Savior, Jehovah. Are you kidding interested to hear about it? And then I just look at him, and I, from my, like, white tank top wife beater, I pull out my crucifix and put it on top. I saw that fucker's smile go from wide to, like, some Cheshire Cat grin to immediately, like, some frown. He just walks away, like, some NPC, like, deactivated him. And I was like, that was a very weird encounter, man. Like, I'm just, like, I don't know. Like, was, there's probably, uh, yeah. So, What's he up? was, there was, at, when I was at Alabama, I was in the student center. And I was just eating, and this guy sat down. So it was freshman year, so I was like, I figured he just wanted a friend, right? And so he just sat down and started talking. We were, like, casually chatting. And I asked him, what brought you to Alabama? And he said, well, I guess the Lord. <laughs> and then it's, like, just, like, immediately I realized that I had been talking yeah, to a bro. missionary. And so then he was, and then he went off, and then he just talked about, like, inappropriate stuff, like, about his porn addiction and how the Jehovah's Witness had saved him from that and, like, Oh like, my god. I mean, hey, yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. They do that a lot. They try I don't know, they think oversharing is just so good. It's like Yeah, like I didn't need to like Yeah. Yeah, it's like people online who like to brag about their sex lives or shit. It's like, dude, I could have won my whole life without hearing this. Like, why did you have to share this with me? Like, no one cares. I don't want to know about this. Like, keep your private shit in the bedroom. I don't want to know in public what you're doing. Like, I, this is so weird. Like, this new phenomenon. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to overshare. That's really going to get him to join my cult. I'm like, nah, it's really not, man. <laughs> I assume he probably won't listen to this. I, I kind of don't care if he does. But I have this one. I Because I make fun of Polly's a lot on uh, my... Um, and I have this one usual is this who is male uh poly right and every time he replies to me he wants to tell me about his poly lifestyle <laughs> and it's just That's i don't so i didn't even it's like yeah he's like he's just kind of creepy guy <laughs> it's like he's kind, he's kind of like a male, male Ayala. Uh, he's like also friends with oh yeah, he's part of that. Well, male Ayala. Well, a male Ayala, I feel like, is not Ayala. Because, like, Ayala, like, part of the, like, she has, like, a bunch of male followers who are, like, thirsting for her. So that's, like, there's yeah. no one thirsting for him. Like, he just is really eager to tell everyone about his sex life. God damn, that's so bad. That is so bad.
Well, it's funny, like, Silver, I know I sound pretty progressive with some of my ideas on, like, gender and stuff, but I find it pretty funny because, like, anytime I see someone with they, them in their bio, I immediately do not take them seriously. I consider them a demon because I'm like, huh, the only people who call themselves they, them or referred to them in, like, third person were demons in the Bible. I'm like, you were literally possessed by a demon. I am not going to engage in this conversation. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I cut out for a minute. Are you guys there? Oh shoot! I'm actually. I'm probably gonna leave from here pretty. You have to leave pretty soon. Yeah, we're wrapping up in ten minutes. Yesterday. You get to chill for ten more minutes. We're wrapping up in ten. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, I lost track of times. It's been a good conversation though so far. Yeah. No. No. It has. I'm just. Yeah. If I'm like. If I seem. Yeah. I'm not. I'm very tired. Like not slept for like ages. Yeah. But yeah, it's been no, but it's been fun talking, talking to you guys. And yeah, and this podcast idea that um seems seems cool. That is, and I didn't know that Discord actually podcasts. Yeah, no, Discord is definitely a good function. Um, what was I gonna say? Yeah, is there anything else you guys want to last minute touch on before we wrap up shop? Or anything? I in this podcast. No, I think this has been like a, um, a good discussion. Yeah, it's been a fun conversation. Yeah, I'm glad you had us on, although it was last it was last second, so we didn't have too much time to prepare. But oh no, yeah, good. thank you guys both for filling in last second. I know, like that's a pretty hefty thing to ask for, but I'm like, oh, thank the Lord they filled in. Oh no, no, yeah, yeah no, this was fine, and it was fun. Yeah. And, and thanks for inviting, thanks for inviting us. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you guys want to close off with? A message to the audience listening, where they can find you guys at on social media or anything? Uh, you can find me at Derek Peterson three on Twitter, and we're and we're starting. We're we're going to be starting a podcast soon. So check. That hey, out. best of luck for that too. Yeah. Hopefully, you guys can have me on your podcast in the future. That'd be fun. What about yeah, you? Yeah. We, yeah. We. Yeah. We will. We'll. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. Not- we're gonna try out different yeah we're gonna have different people from like guest host also so so yeah find me on twitter at, um at i'm silver rose and right. sound good this has been solo Requiem. thank you for tuning in to Requiem radio podcast so you can find us on mainly twitter sorry not twitter um spotify itunes and various other apps you could find it in my link tree but yeah thank you guys for listening in